Recorded live. What's going on now? Hey, what's happening? Not too much, not too much. Um, I want to try to get this one through quick so we can kind of talk about I thought we were going to do it yesterday so we could kind of uh, go through the questions before we sent it, but um, I just want to try to get this one done so we can kind of prepare to make the interview a little bit better. You know what I mean? For, with Matt. Sure. Um, so I think we should have a buffer about five minutes way this goes i don't got a lot to say i mean you know i mean lord knows i got everything out on prior in the last one so uh (laughs) what's left you know what i mean at this point yeah that's true i want to i want to i want to slide in a couple topics just real quick so like hit the indians and stuff like that then the browns and the calf segment will be long and remember we're just going to do a quick um intro and outro for the craig morris thing so, like a little, you know, back and forth about, you know, that. Because uh, I don't know if you've seen it. He got a shout-out from Cam Atkinson as being a season ticket holder. So, that was pretty cool. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> you ready to go? Yeah, sure. All right. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Show 133, Vindication. Yes, we were right again. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Seabus. Let's talk some sports. Show 133, Vindication. Uh, Jake, it feels good to be right about certain things and uh, not so good to be right about other things, especially when it comes to the Cleveland Browns. Um, we're going to get to the roller coaster that was the free agent frenzy um, that started off, and then, of course, the departure of one Terrell Pryor. Uh, we'll then talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers, the new villain that they have to go against um, after that back-to-back <laughs> uh, beatdown of Miami and them losing four or five games in a row. Um, but we know one thing that we all are vindicated on, and this is all of Cavs Nation, basically. The Cavs signed Larry Sanders, and uh, we know they, they need help to get that defense right going into the playoffs. Um, we're going to slide in some Indians and WBC talk. And then, of course, we've got a great, Great interview with Craig Morris of the Union Blue Soldiers. Um, we recorded that one previously, folks, but uh, it's just great to uh, talk to a huge CBJ fan, and we had a lot of fun with that one, Jake. Yeah, absolutely, D. It's uh, good to hear from anytime you hear from some of the Union Blue Soldiers or the Fifth Line guys. Uh, it's great to have their insight on, and uh, also, uh, you know, just being a part of that uh, environment too is uh, always a good thing. 
All right, we're going to hit the Twitter love real quick. Uh, shout out to at Dark Block. He's been all over this Browns news back and forth when it comes to quarterbacks and everything. Uh, shout out to uh, at the North Coast Championship. We got to talk to the Cross. We got to talk with the Cross Sisters. Uh, great Motivation Monday podcast available right now. You know, at all the formats on withanohiobias.com. Shout out to at Kelly is the best. She's a big Ohio everything fan, and I mean the Twitter handle says what it really is. Shout out to at Penrod underscore 937 uh shout out to outlet shout out to at loudmouth mma uh you got to follow uh kyle Steele. he's got a great podcast going and brand that he's building up over there and uh ufc fight night in brazil definitely delivered with barbosa with a great neat victory um and then victor belfort who wants to start a legends league because he got ko'd by shogun rua but at loudmouth mma we got a great podcast with him as well available at with an ohiobias.com so check that one out we've pretty much talked about everything coming up this year and some of our favorite potential fights um of course with stipe and cody defending their titles later on this year um, and then, of course, shout out to at Craig Morris, um, at Gambit624. That interview is coming, and, uh, of course, he talks all things Union Blue Soldiers. And shout out to at Darcy, um, at DS Buckeyes. Darcy, she's a huge CBJ fan, Ohio State fan, and she's always supported with an Ohio bias. So shout out to you, Darcy. Uh, Jake, let's get into the Indians real quick. Uh, let's talk Indians real quick. The WBC is going on. Franco, Francisco Lindor slipping bats. Um, Andrew, Andrew Miller's giving up saves, and uh, Cubs Twitter thinks that they uh, have something to do with that. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I was ha- I happened to watch both of those events happen live. For some reason, uh, I caught them. But, uh, yeah, Andrew Miller, you hope that he gets it all out of his system now, that's for sure. You know, it's just – it's a lot to ask these guys at the beginning of April, or I mean at the end of March and the beginning of April. Now, let me try that one more time. Let me figure out what part of the year we're at. All right. So it's hard to ask these guys early in spring training, the middle of March, you know, trying to get your reps in. And now you got to go out and pitch competitive baseball. Um, you know, I, I, maybe not so much of a big deal for the fielders, but I, I feel for these pitchers that, uh, you know, should be pitching maybe two innings the most. And you got Chris Archer going out there throwing four innings, but, um, I guess there's no real good time to do this thing if we're going to do it, but uh, you just wish that, that you don't have your guys out there in a situation like that where they can hurt themselves because they're overextending themselves. Uh, as far as Lindor goes, you know, that's that gets you thrown at in a Major League Baseball regular season game, you know, and I like the unwritten rules, but some of them I think are a little bit, uh, I don't know, stale, crusty, whatever you want to say. And I think the bat flipping thing, if it's a big home run, I think you got to let that go nowadays. There needs to be a little bit more of an environment of uh, fun put back in baseball. Yeah, we don't need Morgana coming out of the stands, but we got to have a little bit of uh, showmanship, you know, <laughs> for the guys, you know, the boys of well, summer. Uh, well, the, the one here, thing, real quick, D, here's the thing, you know. We we let it go for pitchers. You know, how many times do you see a pitcher pump his fist after a big strikeout? And this goes back to, like, Pasquale Perez uh, doing it. So, you know, I mean, if it's good for a pitcher to do it, I don't see why a, a home run, you know, flipping a bat after a home run is that big of a deal. 
No, I agree. I totally agree. I think that's something that makes the game more watchable, and it's definitely, you know, always great for the highlights, you know, on the uh, different sports networks. Um, you talked about, you know, uh, just hoping that everybody gets out of this thing healthy. I mean, you feel for uh, Robert Perez. Uh, you feel for Perez with the Kansas City Royals with that knee injury. Uh, we saw one of the Mets players go down. Looks like he's going to be okay uh, to get back in into the, you know, swing of things. But, um, you know, that, that's the thing I've just been watching for. And also, too, I mean, what is going on with the rules in the WBC, how Mexico gets eliminated because of this weird calculation? So uh, I, I can't get caught up in all that. Um, we talk about injuries, though, Jake. Uh, the one news that is disheartening, um, and I don't know, it might be time to relook at the staff who uh, deals with shoulders when it comes to the Cleveland Indians because Jason Kipnis now might miss opening day, um, and they're going to have to put him on the shelf and really let that thing get get healthy. So uh, we might see Ramirez move over to that spot. And even Giovanni uh, Urshela, a guy that you know, have seen up close and put the magnifying glass while covering the Columbus Clippers down there. Yeah, I mean, we've said it already as we've started talking Indians baseball. And it's the one thing that can really hurt this club. Would only thing I can see derailing them from uh, another playoff run would be injuries. And here we go already with Jason Kipnis in a shoulder and a rotator cuff, no less. Um, you know, last year you were pretty fortunate. You know, of course, you had the Brantley injury, and then you had some unfortunate injuries later down the road. But for a good portion of at least the first up till August, you were a pretty healthy ball club. And so you're going to need that going forward if you're going to try to get back and defend your American League crown. Um, yeah, I mean, the replacements there are just that. You know, nobody's going to replace uh, Jason Kipnis, and you just hope that, uh, you know, you have depth in your system for these occasions, and Urshel is a, a solid uh, stopgap, but, you know, you, you, nobody's Jason Kipnis at this point. Yeah, I was hard on Dirtbag about, you know, I'd say a year and a half ago because he was really struggling that season with the, you know, just he wasn't hitting the way he was. And then you saw the resurgence, and definitely at the right time. I mean, he between him and Ramirez, they picked up that clutchness almost, um, you know, or at least carried the load of clutchness from Dr. Smooth, especially when it got into October and the run to the World Series. So nobody was hitting the ball better than Jason Kipnis, you know, like even, I mean, all the way through the run and even definitely against the Cubs. So um, it sucks, especially with that kind of injury, because you worry about everybody's saying you can kind of throw with that, you know, when it comes to fielding. But I worry about the torque that it takes, you know, and how that toll, you know, because, that's the thing that sucks with Brantley. These timetables, it's not like you definitely need him back. You just want him to be back 100% healthy. That way, you know, he can get into the groove and get back into everything that he feels right. Yeah, you don't want to take this thing lightly. I mean, a rotator cuff's nothing to mess around with. You're right. It hurts your batting, and it hurts in the field as well, and gets progressively worse. So you got to get this thing under control right now, and uh, you know, we hope for the best here, and if not, you got to adjust and find what uh, what will work. All right, we think, and we always, as always, for Old Tribe, uh, we think about what's not working and uh, some of the indicators for Cavs fans out there. We knew they needed a big. They tried to address that knee, Jake, with Andrew Bogut, and we know how that played out. Hurt in 58 seconds, tragedy. Uh, strikes, but David Griffin does not rest. Uh, he goes out and signs Larry Sanders. So it's a little bit of the vindication that we're talking about here um, when it comes to the Cleveland Cavaliers moving forward and getting that defense shored up, definitely putting Larry in the middle. 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in the last podcast. So we thought the Cavaliers won the trade deadline because they were the one team that really didn't do much and added two players that they really needed. Uh, meanwhile, the contenders in the East didn't get anybody. So it, it just kind of really sucks that Andrew Bogut goes 30 seconds and out because uh, he could have been a big, big help. And you look at this team right now and how it's rebounding. And without Kevin Love, it's been a nightmare. Uh, it just goes to show how important that guy is and is going to be for this team as we see the the losing ways here of recent and then also uh, the trouble of just rebounding. Even Tristan, uh, he just looks tired and overworked. And, you know, you got a guy that's playing 36 minutes a night every night for 500 games in a row now. You know, when does that start catching up to you, especially when you're getting asked to do more and more? So getting Larry Sanders is a, a huge pickup, even though he hasn't played in the league for two years. Um, you know, he's still been playing basketball. So hopefully he's in shape. He can come in and do what he's asked, and that's only to get some boards, to put some putbacks up, uh, stay out of foul trouble, and bring a little toughness to this ball club. Well, we know he can definitely box shots, uh, but don't expect to see him anytime soon. He's got to get into basketball shape, so they're going to keep him stashed down in Canton almost. The, the reports are, excuse me. They're going to keep him down in Canton almost to the – I think he'll come up for the last maybe four or five games, maybe a last road trip or something like that. But I think the guy looks in great shape. But, you know, you got to get that win back. And um, sure. it, it's going to it's going to be a tough – these games are tough to watch. The, the Rockets game, they played so well in that first half, especially that second quarter. But then, you know, they kind of lose focus. They kind of lose a little bit of that intensity. And these teams are able to come back on these leads. So then we see the minutes going up for everybody. Um, and you talk about the physical toll that's taken on Tristan Thompson. It's taking a physical toll on Channing Fry as well, who's trying to bang and trying to, you know, protect the rim. And that's really not his game. He's more of a finesse player. We know he strokes it from three. The other thing I thought about that Rockets game, Jake, is I felt bad Kyle Korver, who's out. Uh, they're keeping him out, trying to let his foot rest. Uh, nothing real serious with the injury. Just they want to make sure that he gets, you know, 100% had a little aches and pains. But he missed that three-point fest with 88 threes getting hoisted up. I mean, you know Kyle Korver was probably sad about missing that one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing, too, when he's not in and now you got J.R. Smith back, and we got to start talking a little bit about chemistry again. Uh, this is a different team in rotation than when J.R. Smith left last. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I just feel like he's the type of player that needs to be comfortable with what's going on around him or he can go completely shacked in the full on us. Um, so I, I think the more we can get this rotation figured out with the players that we're actually going to go with here come playoff time, the better off this team's going to be. Well, I think we're going to have Ty Lue playing the matchup game. And, I, I mean, I'll tell you this, man. Sometimes Ty Lue, you know, you hear some of these quotes and you get a little rubbed the wrong way. But uh, the one quote, it makes me think about after after game two last year, you know, um, uh, it makes me think about game three after the last year. You know, if you don't think we can win, don't get on the plane. He had another one, you know, he's, they asked him, are you worried about, you know, Washington and and Boston, you know, who's breathing down your heels being two and a half games back, he said, you know, you got to win games on the road in the playoffs. So we don't, you know, I'm not worried about that. We'll find a way. And he, he has found something. The bench scoring is up. That was one thing that you saw. They were scoring more points with LeBron James on the bench, and that's a credit to Darren Williams finding a little bit of rhythm with this team. So I think it's going to be there. It's going to be the matchup game that they play with that roster with all this talent, though. You're not going to see a full, you know, eight or nine guy rotation that comes in and out. I think 
you're going to see those guys try to find it. Uh, Ty Lue and the staff and Larry Drew uh, try to find it. And we're glad Ty Lue just got over that stomach flu too. But um, they're going to try to find a, a, a matchup for each team. And I think that's a little easier when it comes to the playoffs when you've got those days in between. You can practice and get guys settled into a true game plan. Yeah, and I guess maybe I, I misstated it when I said rotation. And it's not in the true sense of rotation. More what what defined roles are, you know, and expectations when when you get to where you're in the game. So uh, in that regard, you're right. This, the, the NBA, like all basketball, and I think Clark Kellogg said this last night about SMU, uh, you know, it's, it's positionless basketball is becoming more and more of a thing. So, um, you know, rotations and uh, backups and all that sort of stuff, that goes out the window nowadays. No, I agree with you. You're right about the rotation. There's no question, but you, you can't, like, um, uh, there's certain nights that, you know, like, here's a perfect example. We think about last season real quick. Channing Fry didn't play. He played big in Atlanta. Didn't play as much when we got to, you know, Toronto and definitely against Golden State. You know what I mean? His minutes cut down. So I think it's going to be that kind of thing. So those guys right. are going to – but you can't do that when Kevin Love's not there and that guy's going to play the majority of the minutes. And then, you know, so that, it's, going to, it's going to work itself out. And I'm definitely excited about where it goes. Uh, but the one thing is if we got to see Deion Waiters, who is playing at a all-time level, I mean, even beyond any dreams that I think Chris Grant had when he drafted him. Uh, the guy has found a home in Miami. He's balling, saying F you to the haters, balling like Deion Waiters. I mean, this is unbelievable. And he took two from the Cavs back-to-back um, playing hero ball. But that's what the Miami Heat needed. I mean, thank goodness Dragic got poked in the eye because the Pacers were able finally to clip them a little bit. But um, the Heat are looking like they're going to be that first-round matchup for the Cavs. What world am I living in where Donald Trump's our president and Dion Waiters is one of the best players in the NBA? Um, it's just mind-boggling to me uh, how this guy for so long, uh, you know, just he felt like he didn't like basketball and he didn't understand team basketball. And now all of a sudden he's, uh, I don't even know, Joe Dumars out there in Miami. But, uh, yeah, I mean, hats off to him for figuring it out, I guess, and as far as competition for the Cavs, you know, for me, I, I look at Washington. Um, they're not deep, but they're starting five and uh, six and six and seven guys. Uh, that could give you a little bit of problems, and we don't handle Washington all that well. Uh, Boston, I think, we're fine against. And um, other than that, I'm not really that worried about much in the East. Well, I'm I'm excited because that's going to be a series that's going to get the Cavs' attention. Um, if that's the matchup. So I like that. And I like that, you know, tension that Deion Waiters is going to bring because he's a villain now. I mean, that's the true Cavs villain. Oh, yeah. If they're looking for somebody LeBron, in the East. Uh, so that's to that, play in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got that factor, too. So that, that yeah, he's finally going to have to show up in Miami for the right. Rick Ross and everybody <laughs> down there who gets angry with him. Uh, so it's definitely exciting. I, I feel vindicated about one other thing. I, it, it was a little bit out on the limb, but I kind of seen this one coming. The Warriors are really struggling. They had that road trip that they were on with the 11,000 miles back and forth um, all over the country, and they have lost, you know, five games. And it's looking like that, that 10 games that I thought they were going to they, – they rest everybody against the Spurs. Everybody's up in arms about that. The Spurs, you know, put it to them with Patty Mills going nuts. Um, uh, but shout-out to Ian Clark who balled out of control. Uh, but, you know, 
there's still some issues out there in the West, and we saw what the Rockets could do, you know, with the Cavs. So uh, it might not be an easy road for the Warriors, you know, healthy or not. You know, those teams, the Spurs and the the Rockets, look like they actually will bring some challenge to them in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, it's – I I think that the West is – catching up to Golden State. I don't know if you could say that after a two-year run, really, it was what Golden State's been on. But um, I mean, the Spurs, I, I don't know how they do it year in and year out. I, I mean, Patty Mills, come on, man. I mean, they've won, I think, like nine of their last 11 games. It's stupid how they just continue to win and win and win to the point where you don't even see them coming. Um, and the Rockets, uh, you know, what a, what a year and what a turnaround. Uh, Daryl Morey pushing the right buttons there and uh, got James Harden playing at an MVP type level, so uh, yeah, I think there's some competition for Golden State and some teams that'll push them. Um, Oklahoma City not going to be one of them this year, but uh, that's because one of their best players decided to just turn tail and go play for the guys that beat them. Yeah, but they're still going to be in the mix. So they, if Golden State loses that number one spot, can you? I mean, they won't see. They, I think OKC is in the seventh spot right now, so they could possibly see them in the first round. Possibly avoid them altogether. It, it's crazy the way this is going to play out. But I think it's exciting for uh, the casual fan because now these games are going to matter, and these coaches aren't going to be able to rest these players no matter what the NBA schedule is because they're going to need the games for seeding. So it's about to get real exciting for the NBA. But we'll definitely be focused on it more after the. Uh, NCAA tournament is just one of those things that happens as a sports fan. Uh, but uh, I think the Cavs can definitely rebound on the court and and with you know their play on the defensive end. It's going to be the real key to what they do, especially when they get the help with Larry Sanders and also Kevin Love returning, who has been – we've been posting some of those videos and stuff like that. It's good to see him without the knee brace, and he's starting to move and work out a little bit, but you definitely just want to see him back 100% healthy. Yeah, like I said earlier, he's uh, a key, key piece to this, and it's not even as much uh, shooting the threes. It's the rebounding and the interior stuff that I, that I feel like this team's missing from him. So it'll be good to get him back, and, and one player can change the rules of, the roles of many players. So uh, that will help as well, as, and also the spacing. All right, as always, go Cavs. We're coming back talking about your Cleveland Browns, the free agency, the moves that Shashi Brown and the Harvard Brain Trust made. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We will talk to you on the other side. Jake, the Cleveland Browns got squirrely when it came to free agency. Uh, got aggressive, and I liked I like that a lot. The problem was they let Terrell Pryor go, which I didn't like. Lord knows, I think I gave us 30 hardcore minutes about Terrell Pryor and how I felt about the Cleveland Browns. So there's no need to rehash all of that. But um, I don't know. Do you feel any different the way that played out than possibly what we discussed on the last podcast? No, I, I think it just got to the point of uh, a st- the staring contest. You know, who's going to blink first? And the Browns decided that, you know what, we can't do it anymore. We're going to go out and we're going to spend the money we allocated and told you we were going to give you uh, on someone with similar stats. And that's what they got in Kenny Britt. You know, I mean, I'd rather have Terrell Pryor. I think Terrell Pryor has more upside than Kenny Britt. I think Terrell Pryor is a better human being than Kenny Britt is. But, you know, business is business. And they were to the point where they said, you know, we can't do it anymore. We can't take this risk out. You're a free agent. And, Terrell Pryor gets a one-year contract, and if he has a great year, then he's going to get paid the money that he wants to get paid. 
and who knows, it might be the Browns that pay him ultimately, but um, I, I just think it was, I, I think Terrell Fryer's agent uh, is a big fault in this and him not being a Cleveland Brown. Well, my biggest thing is, is the contradictory. And I'm glad you brought up that issue of character when it comes to Kenny Britt, because we just, I mean, if you don't know the guy's past, uh, you, you got to Google it because the rap sheet's pretty long. Um, and, you know, he it was a name that I kept mentioning, you know, just in passing because I kind of – it's not that I saw it coming, but I just thought he was a viable option. But my whole thing was pair him with Terrell Pryor. Give yourself more options at wide receiver because everybody's excited about the offensive linemen they added. We know that – and it's also contradictory them giving a huge contract to Joel Bentonio who hasn't played a game in two years. So uh, that doesn't make sense to me. But, hey, Kevin Zeitler, they bring him in from the Bengals, make him the highest-paid guard in the league. That one's a head-scratcher to me as well, being that the Bengals' offensive line as a group was terrible. I didn't see Kevin Zeitler making that great of an impact there, but maybe he can be, uh, you know, part of this unit and lift them up. And then they uh, go out and get two centers, which, I mean, hey, this is the vindication we talked about, just the aggression that they needed to do in free agency and definitely targeting some of those holes that we've been talking about for the last couple of years. Uh, they get J.C. Treader and uh, Mike Martin from the 49ers, uh, the, center, the center from the Packers who went down and allowed Corey Lindsley, the Ohio State Buckeye, to step in, and then Mike Martin, a backup. So they, they strengthen that all line for whoever's going to play quarterback, which we're going to get to, of course, with the whole Brock Osweiler trade. So they, they were very aggressive. But when it comes to the contradiction, it's like you can't find money for a show-me deal for Terrell Pryor, as you talked about. You know, like you, you, can't, you, you can't make all this work. And my thing is, who is going to catch the ball? you got this great offensive line now. Hugh Jackson will not run the ball. I saw that last year. Now, I, I know that. He's not going to run the ball 40 times and just take a win by a field goal. This guy wants to throw. doesn't matter who's the quarterback. So this front office is not meshing with the coach right now. And I know it's only offseason, basically uh, Browns 1.0 with the analytics department. But I think they're not they, – they got to accelerate – when it comes to synergy of all being on the same page, seeing how the, you know, the old Bill Parcells line, you know, getting the groceries and making the meal works together. You know, so I, I see that disconnect there. It's not like it's a negative disconnect. I just think these guys are just trying to do things in a different way, which is great. And it's, it's definitely, you know, outside the box thinking, especially with the trade for Osweiler getting the second round pick. But, um, you know, when it comes to Terrell Pryor, you know, I can't – I don't understand how they can feel good about Corey Coleman, you know, Peyton Higgins, and Ricardo Lewis, and, and Kenny Britt. When, you know, we're going to be in the same boat where everybody's going to dial down on Barnage and know those guys can't beat you over the top. Oh, you're forgetting one key cog to this wide receiver core, my friend. We're, we're, go, one, go ahead and say it because it's the last time it's going to be mentioned. It's going to be the last time it's mentioned. Yeah, there's going to be a moratorium on Josh Gordon. We're going to do a moratorium on Josh Gordon, so get it out now, man. I, I, I can't talk about a guy that can't stop smoking weed, man. I just can't. <laughs> I had to set you off with it. I'm just joking. I mean, although he did reapply, and who knows, and I, I, we won't talk about it until something materializes anymore. But I don't know. Maybe they know something that we don't. Uh, as far as TP, yeah, I think that could have been handled better. Uh, on the Brown side. And I, I get what you're saying. Um, but you're, the, the thing that I did like what they've done so far uh, is get those offensive linemen. Now, whether they got the right guys or not, that's up for debate. But uh, you're going to have to spend more than normal to get guys to come to Cleveland. Uh, so that's why I'm not sure why they 
got rid of Terrell Pryor, who wanted to be in Cleveland. But regardless of that situation, put that aside. I think they did go out and they addressed the problem that they needed to address there. Uh, they made a trade for a guy that they can cut. Uh, they can absorb the cap hit, so it's not a big deal. And they actually, co- I think it comes back off of the cap next year, so you'll have that money to spend again. Uh, and you picked up a second-round draft pick, so they got an asset out of it as well. Uh, you know, they still don't have a quarterback, um, and we'll see about that. As far as the disconnect with Hugh Jackson, I mean, they did take Corey Coleman. I know he was hurt all year and all that other stuff, uh, but they did take a wide receiver in the first round. And I think they'll take a playmaker early in the draft this year. Uh, I'm not guessing who that's going to be, but I think they'll take another offensive playmaker, load up on defense again. I think that's the game plan. Spend the money free agency on the offensive line and get this defense young and hungry a lot like Seattle. That's what this looks like to me. So I, I think that's where we're going with all of it. Yeah, I was excited. I was excited about them being aggressive. That's the thing that, you know, it was the swing of emotions for me. I was so excited Thursday and then Friday, the the prior news, and you just saw it come in where it looked like it wasn't going to work out. And the way that they were spending money, they still have $62.5 million under the cap. So for the amount of money and the way the story came, I, I don't care how it didn't work out. I just care that you don't see that as an issue. Um, and I'm not talking to you. I just don't care that the Browns didn't see that as more of an issue where you could – you spent a lot of energy and investment into a guy so discuss that situation at nauseum it's not nothing's going to change here so you know um but that one is a a definitely a head scratcher and that's why i I mean i was ready to you know be on here uh putting some cooling gang in the background singing celebration because the browns looked like they were doing everything right um when i think about that wide receiver position though I, i i'm tired of arguing with people on brown's twitter if it comes to josh gordon if it comes to everything else and that's the other thing that kind of sucks with this front office always making these contradictory moves to their own self and kind of shooting themselves in the foot. Um, I, I, I just don't understand how people can get excited and act like Josh Gordon. How many times is this guy going to get you pumped up and then, like, you know, break your heart? And then when it comes to when it comes to the Browns and Corey Coleman, man, I'm sorry, man. I don't care if the guy was hurt. I don't care about anything else. That guy did not prove that he was worthy of a six-round pick. When I look at the production of a Sterling Shepard taking, I mean, uh, taking six overall in the first round, and I look at the production of a Sterling Shepard who was taken in the sixth round. So, you, you know, it, there's guys that were way better than him after the fact. So here's, and you know me, I always try to look at things as what the Browns can do now. So there's one other glaring need that the Browns need to address at some point. And that's special teams, as we always crow about. Um, and speaking of the crow, they're shopping him, so you're probably right about them taking a playmaker. And if you want to go back and think about my bold strategy for the Browns, there was a playmaker that I really like, but you can go back and listen to that podcast with an Ohio bias. Um, but when I think about the guys that are out there, there's still some free agents out there that could help the Browns in that receiving core, and um, that would be one Anquan Bolden who's out there who had eight touchdowns last year for the Detroit Lions, still has got some tread on the tire, and would be one of those veterans that can maybe help Corey Coleman figure it out a little faster. And then also, too, a guy that could help solve the special teams need and the wide receivers need, one of the bigger role up in Minnesota, and that's Cordell Patterson. So I think there's some guys out there that the the Browns can still do. They got the money, like I said, and they addresses those problems that they definitely need to. Uh, if they don't see it as a problem, they definitely need to, you know, start looking at it as one because that wide receiving score sucks. <laughs> it does not, that's as blunt as it can be. That's for sure. It's I'm not. I'm good. not. I'm not backing off of that one. The wide receiving core no. sucks. No, it's, you not, can't. it's not good. There's no doubt. It is not good. 
Um, but it, like you said, we got time to address it. Uh, the Browns are in that advantageous spot of having the tap money. So when it all dries up from other teams and there's still these guys out there that are good players uh, that just didn't work into the plans of other teams, the Browns can be there to swoop them up for uh, whatever they can get them for. Okay, let's get to this quarterback talk real quick, Jake. Um, the rumors out there, we saw Hoyer signed with the 49ers in a great tweet by at Moohead Radio. Shout out to Moohead Radio. Um, he said him and Kyle Shanahan had unfinished business. Moohead Radio said the guy's got unfinished business at every team he played for. But um, uh, Nick, Foles, Nick Foles goes to the Eagles. But now it looks like the NFL Network was reporting the Browns might have interest in Geno Smith. Um, they they oh, might no. keep – they might keep Brock Osweiler because it doesn't – I don't know what to believe. Adam Schefter's, you know, blowing his top. Like, I'm blowing my top about the Browns receiving core, about the Patriots not trading Jimmy Garoppolo. So, uh, But now with the – I will say this. I'll say two things on the Patriots. One, with that trade for Brandon Cooks, they kind of gave up all their draft picks. So I don't understand why they wouldn't make a trade with the Browns um, to get some picks if that's what they want. I mean, that's the perfect partner. So with that, I don't understand how that deal could be 100% dead. The other thing, too, you said it a couple times on the podcast, and I'm going to tell you this right now. I, I don't like to judge greatness as their, as somebody's career is going. I like to take a snapshot back. But if Bill Belichick is supposedly the greatest of all time in the, in, in the NFL and football coaching, he needs to come back to Cleveland and win a Super Bowl here. That's the only way the guy will be great, a la one LeBron James. Uh, I am all for that. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> if he gets bored winning championships in New England and feels like he needs a challenge, there's a certain former team of his that is, would be glad to have him. Um, yeah, the quarterback market, you know you know who didn't win it? San Francisco and the Bears. Uh, the Bears are going to go into the season now with Mike Glennon as their starting quarterback. And uh, I don't even know who the 49ers are going to end up starting, but if they start Brian Hoyer – I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many more victories than two they're going to get. Um, as far as winning it, to me, we talked about it, the Patriots right now. The Patriots, by holding on to Garoppolo, uh, it's created a situation like the girl you can't have. You want her more. So I think the longer that they say no, the more picks they're going to get, and the more they tell teams he's not being traded, the more attractive they get to him. So I think that's a big, big win for the Patriots right now and what the market is for Jimmy Garoppolo. And then, of course, the Texans. <laughs> so, you know, they, they get to move off of Brock Osweiler, maybe one of the worst signings in NFL history at this point, and free up cap room to go after Tony Romo if uh, he ever gets cut or if the Cowboys decide to trade him. So, to me, that's, that's, that's the quarterback market in my eyes. Yeah, I think you're very accurate with that. And uh, the Brock Osweiler thing, the way he left Houston, I, I always hate stories of when guys, and this is uh, uh, according to a report on Pro Football Talk, when guys won't go into a game because another guy got injured and they don't feel like they've been getting the respect that they deserve and they decide the moment during a game when they are needed by their team is the moment that they didn't want to uh, voice that protest. So that's always a weird thing to me. Um, definitely everybody's got a different personality, but that's just not a good look. Um, and, you know, we talked about character when it came to Kenny Britt. I think that says a little bit about Brock Eisweiler. So I, I, let me say this about the Browns. I like the fact that they have options. I mean, they, they show some aggression. They're not sitting on their laurels. 
Um, the TP thing leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but with that, you know, as they go out and get, you know, somebody else, like you said, you know, when these other wide receivers realize there's uh, nowhere else to go or they can't get the deal that they want, they can, you know, come get a little bit money with the Browns and, you know, prove themselves here and, you know, build themselves up for another big contract. So it's definitely a great spot for the Browns to be in. And there, like you said, there's a lot of offensive talent, you know, in the draft. So we'll be covering that as well, you know, getting into the draft talk. I mean, it's about to get real heavy here after the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, unless some of the Browns breaks, we'll talk about it. But if not, we'll, we'll be coming back with draft preview stuff and definitely getting into the meat of that as we look into May. One last honorable mention for quarterback market. I, I really like the fact that the Bills, I mean, for them, uh, were able to restructure Tyrod Taylor uh, and get him back under, uh, get them back next year because, you know, we've been looking for a starting quarterback since 99 now. And if you've got one, you know, even if it might not be the, the best one in the world, uh, but a legitimate starting quarterback, I think you need to keep on uh, keeping on with them. So Tyrod Taylor in that aspect. Um, as far as the Browns, though, it's assets, 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 assets. Uh, I think we've the, that's what these analytics guys are going to do uh, to get to the point where they've got enough to build the team from what it was, which was absolute garbage. Yeah, they blew it up, and that was something that we agreed upon. But the thing is, you can only stack assets so long. The 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 chicken comes home to roost next season, and if they don't win games, I don't. You know, you got to win games. So, and I'm, my thing is. One real quick back to Stephen Hoshka got signed, a, the the old Seattle Seahawks kicker. We need a kicker. Now I'm gonna tell you this right now. I will be on this podcast screaming about that if they go in with Cody Parkey playing again at kicker. You know what I mean? We you know the guy can't get it done. I know that you, you got to find a solution. So you know, crunch the numbers on that one. And don't tell me Chris Tabor <laughs> thinks this guy's a good guy because that guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing either. So, you know, the Browns need to start really putting the, putting the mirror up to some of these decisions that they make and some of the confidence they have in the wrong things. So, um, as always, go Browns. We, we'll be, you know we're going to be talking about it. So, uh, but I, let, let me say this one more time. I definitely was excited Thursday. Didn't you know it all got it all got you know taken away Friday? But hey, I was excited, and I you know hey, we we love O line play, and definitely excited about those guys. And I, I I like the comments from Kevin Zeitler, who was excited. One of the big things besides the big paycheck, he was excited to come play for Hugh Jackson. So I just want Hugh Jackson to be around to see all this to come to fruition and be able to coach these guys up. So as always, go Browns. Um, we're coming back with the Craig Morris interview, uh, ladies and gentlemen, talking the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Union Blue Soldiers. So this is with an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and J. You know what the other thing was? Go ahead. You get in there. You know what the other thing was? It was a great opportunity for Joe Thomas, who has become one of the best tweet follows, Twitter follows on uh, on Twitter, to, to tweet out about now Zeitler can go out and buy a shirt that actually fits. That was, I thought, a pretty funny quote. Uh, Joe Thomas has been on fire. I mean, on fire. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Jake, we got this great interview with Craig Morris. Um, you know, it, it's one of these things that, that the fans make, I think, especially for me when it comes to hockey, the Union Blue Soldiers threads, uh, game day threads, uh, Kevin James Valentine, and shout out, happy birthday, Kevin. Uh, you're getting more mentions on this podcast than you did in the last year, so I hope you're happy about that too out there, buddy. Um, but, Craig Morris, you know, really underscores, you know, everybody's not a hardcore hockey fan, but everybody loves the Jackets, and that's enough to bring us all together. And, um, you know, th that's what I think this interview really, you know, shows that passion. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, whether you're a casual fan or a hardcore fan, uh, you know, getting in those threads, getting in the conversation, interacting with the community, uh, really cool stuff. And, uh, you know, he provides some great insight into that. And then also into the club itself, our CBJ, who are on their way to a playoff run. On their way to a playoff run. And uh, Craig Morris put his money where his mouth was because uh, the Blue Jackets had Cam Atkinson shout him out as being a season ticket holder. So without further ado, here's Craig Morris in our interview with him previously recorded. All right, Jake. Um, Great interview with Craig. Uh, some fun stuff there. And definitely we're all excited about the CBJ rolling through the Metro, even against matchups like the Philadelphia Flyers, like they're playing uh, currently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at the playoff seedings and where they're at right now, and it's, whether it's going to be the Penguins in that 2-3 matchup, or maybe you catch the Capitals and get to that first-place matchup, um, you know, whatever it might be, or even if you're outside and you're in the wild card and you got to play the Habs, who cares? We're in the playoffs. Columbus Blue Jackets hockey is back. Let's go win. Absolutely. As always, go CBJ. Uh, we are the fifth line, Union Blue Pride. Um, and uh, thank you uh, You got to check out Get the Puck Out of Here, and we thank Craig for the kind words on the blog as well. Jake, uh, that has – Oh, go ahead. He. No, <laughs> I was just joking. Oh. With a um, P, P, Puck. Oh, it's a puck. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm, puck I'm, dude, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm so mad about these Browns, man. Yes, <laughs> uh, we are explicit on iTunes though, so it's okay. Right. Um, uh, get the puck out of here, puck, puck. Get the puck out of here, blog. Uh, Jake, we close uh, show one thirty three vindication with uh, you know it feels good to sometimes be right when your sports teams kind of look at the problems that you've been stating if it was the Browns with the offensive line you know uh, the the Indians with you know trying to take care of people when it comes to getting back with the the health and whatnot when we think about the Kipnis and the Brantley injuries the Kipnis and the Brantley injuries and the Cavs finally shoring up that middle even they tried with Bogut but still being relentless with bringing Larry Sanders along too for the playoff run. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen here. We're, we're Cleveland fans, and we're talking about the defending American League champions and the defending world champions and their minor problems overall. Uh, of course, we've got the Browns to talk about every week, but you know, it's not so bad considering where I've been as a Cleveland fan. And uh, you know, it, it is good to see that the problems that we see are the same ones that they see, and uh, our, our our leadership seems to be going after and uh, getting solutions to some of these problems. And also, too, we thank Craig Morris from the Union Blue Soldiers who, uh, like we said, put his money where his mouth is, the season tickets. It, it wasn't always like that with the Blue Jackets either. So we got great hockey both in Cleveland with the uh, Monsters and also with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Jake, give us the plugs. What's going on on the score on air? Yeah, make sure you tune in to score on air this Thursday for with an Ohio bias. We'll be talking brackets. The games will be going on uh, four to six Thursdays. Scoreonair.com. Check out With an Ohio Bias Live. Uh, me and Aaron will be holding it down every Thursday. So check that out. And then also just tune in to Scoreonair.com. A lot of great different shows. Uh, you got the CBJ Crosscheck on Wednesdays from 4 to 6 to, to uh, make sure that you can feed your CBJ fix. And then you've got the wrestling show, uh, Heel and Face, on Mondays and Fridays, 5 to 7. 
uh, every two hours there's a new sports show on there. So check it out, scoreonair.com. All right. And you can follow us at With an Ohio Bias on Twitter. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, thank you for finding us. And also give us a like on Facebook. Uh, you know, you can just search us With an Ohio Bias, or you can follow it from the Twitter links. Uh, you'll see different stories pop up and when a podcast pops up. And then subscribe on iTunes so you can get our podcast. Uh, we do a lot of great interviews with people from all over Ohio and all different sports. So just great content coming at you. But thank you for listening. We appreciate every tweet, every favorite, every like and share any and every comment from everybody uh, who listens to this podcast. Uh, Your thoughts agree, disagree. The discussion of our teams is a passion and it fuels our fandom. Uh, We say a salute to the the medical professionals, doctors, nurses, and caregivers, anyone who cares, anyone who eases the pain of those in pain. We say a thank you to all the teachers, police, and firemen, first responders out there doing the service for their communities, and uh, special thoughts and prayers to the troops in service and to those veterans who have continued their service and returned home safely. Uh, We say a special prayer, though, to those that we have lost and to those that might be missing in action. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We will talk at you next time. All right. Um, good thing we recorded that interview with Craig, you know. <laughs> um, I just reworded those questions so they made a little bit more sense for Matt. So you can ask him any way you want to. It wasn't like I was yeah. trying to tell you how to write it. I just was trying to, you know what I mean, if that makes sense. And I was trying to give it a little bit more flow with the way it, it was lined up. Not offended. So if you ever see me do something like that, that's all I'm doing. Like, you know what I mean? Because I know you, you you might even change it up depending on something he says and stuff like that. It's just I, yeah. I try to give people an idea of what we're – like where we're going with the interview and stuff like that. I feel like people can be more prepared. It takes down the nervous factor, especially with people we never talk to. You know what I mean? Like once right. we talk to people after a couple of times, it's a little bit easier to be a little more casual with them. You know, like so. And then what I would suggest, because I'm trying to keep this interview down to 30 seconds, I would take out the do question – because I know you're going to have a follow-up question about something else. So, because uh, I'm asking a question about Duke 2 later on, specific to the okay. tournament. So, you see what I'm saying? So, just take that one out, and then we can you can slide in any other question, any other thing you think. You know what I mean? Because I know you're going to have a couple follow-ups, but that just creates a little bit more time for that. Does that make sense? So, num- I'm looking at number three in the general basketball? Yes. Okay. Do you have them in a certain order? I like have it the way that I sent that I have it the way that they are numbered on there. Okay. But I mean, are we asking them alternately? Or are we? Yeah, that's what I was. About, we were about to work. Yeah, I was. That's what I was saying. We're going to work that out right now. No, ask the okay. ones that you wanted to ask. Um, and that's what I'm saying. I'm going to. I, I say we go in a rhythm of two questions, and then just give a like a fifteen second, a fifteen second, ten second buffer in case either one of us have a uh, follow up. But we'll ask two questions in succession. That way, it has a little bit of a rhythm. Is that I don't know if that makes sense, or we can do a ten second buffer after each question. I don't know, yeah, that's fine after he stops i'll I, I, yeah I'll give a little bit of a buffer that I, do, we'll do like a one Mississippi five count, like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four and then just go ahead and start. you know what I mean, so okay. if I hear you say something, you know what I mean, you can go ahead right, and so get in there, jumping. and I just yeah, gotcha, okay, cool. Um, and then I'm sliding one more question in at the beginning. I'm not going to go at the guy about that, Mona. I just want to know if the guy's going to respond, say anything differently, um, after these guys got bounced.
passed out like that. Um, okay, so you're going to ask the first two, and then I'm going to start with Kansas. I'm, I, that's what. No, you you can start with. Uh, hold on, I just want to pull one other thing up. You can start with the. Uh, I'm going to ask one more question at the top. I'm basically going to combine two questions. Um, it's going to be about that Mata, and then about Gary Waters leaving Cleveland State to see. I haven't okay. checked Twitter real quick. I had sent them one last second question about that. Okay. That's it. Yes. I was trying to pull them up so I could actually see them. All right, yeah. Go ahead and start with the Kansas question. Um, yeah, go. That's what I'm saying. Take that Duke question out of there, but go through those questions right there. Then I'll lead off with um, a couple. Of, I'll go through the first two. Que- oh no, I'll lead off the tournament discussion with the UNC Wilmington question. That one. You come back in with the Middle Tennessee State. Um, I'll finish up with three and four. If you got something in there, you know what I mean. Um, five, six. Um, and then you could take five and six, and then I'll finish it up with uh, seven. So, and we could kind of play it I'm off. Thinking, he, he's pretty cool, so you know what I mean. Yeah. So, so I'm taking five and six, two five and six in tournament. Yeah. And then I'm taking what in uh, discussion, general discussion. You got two through two. six. You got two through two six. Through six. Yeah. All right. I'll keep them quick. Because that way, if you want to cut it, I think that works out. You got the bulk of it that you can use for, uh, you know, scoring air right. if you want to, too. So that's the other yep. thing I was trying to think of. So, Yeah, um, I'll use it on Thursday for sure. All right, and then – all right, so let me get this guy on. Take two, so. Sorry, what's going on? Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Hey. Good, good. All right, Matt. Uh, the only thing that we had a problem with, we had a little uh, buffering on the sound issue. <laughs> so uh, other than that, the interview was awesome. So um, you sound good right now. So uh, we're excited uh, to do the interview. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Um. And then uh, did you have anything on that CSU one? I didn't even get to see if you were able to give a response back. I didn't know if that was – Um, you know, I, uh, I DM'd you. I haven't heard anything about okay. that vacancy. Okay. So. Yeah, we can avoid that then. No problem. I just wanted to ask about that. Yeah, no problem. All right, Matt. Uh, we're ready to go. So um, without further ado, this is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake, our bracket education special for 2017. 
our bracket education special for 2017, and we're so happy to be joined again by Matt Trable, National Basketball Analyst, CityofBasketballLove.com. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. All right, Matt, we know the Ohio State Buckeye season has been awful, at least for Buckeye fans. Um, Thad Mata and that team get bounced out after he gets a vote of confidence from the athletic director, Gene Smith. We just wanted, we had a lot of reaction to your last appearance where you said Thad Mata had earned a, another year. And you even convinced Jake, so um, who I had been, you know, working yeah. on for a while, saying we needed <laughs> to get rid of him. I just wanted to ask, did anything change with the way that Buckeye season ended and them not even making or getting an invitation to the NIT? That was very disappointing, especially because they sort of played themselves in the bubble conversation a month or so ago. But that's a big one because Rutgers is obviously at the very bottom of that conference. But I will say, even with their poor record, the Scarlet Knights, in my opinion, overachieved this season. But he's still such a big name. I know that a lot of Ohio State men's basketball fans don't want to hear this. They want him out of there. But I still think he's such a big name and he's done so much over his entire career, leading the Buckeyes, that he deserves at least one more season. I'm curious to see what happens because Illinois in conference just made that coaching change with John Gross getting out of there, and I thought that was maybe a little bit hasty because while he may have underachieved, I still think he did a lot of good things, including getting to the tournament in his first year with the Illini. So it's a matter of are they going to go the route of is that moderate so much of a bigger name than John Grosh, where he's going to be safe from being taken out of his head coaching position in the Big Ten like that, or are they going to be continuing this trend recently in the conference of letting head coaches going that did not have a great season? So I'm very curious. I personally think that he should stay. And we're speaking with Matt Trabold, uh, cityofbasketballlove.com. All right, Matt, let's talk about a team that is in the field of 68 at this point. Um, Kansas. Uh, lost, opening, lost in the early on in the Big 12 championship. Uh, you never want to lose, but, you know, for a team that you knew that the seed wasn't going to be affected at all, could that have been the best thing that could have happened to Kansas? And Is that an advantage for them? I actually think so. And they were so close to winning it at the end on an absurd play where you have a pass that goes three-quarters of the court. And Landon Lucas taps out Devontae Graham, a really, really good look in a crazy scenario like that, and it went in and out. So maybe they take some solace in the fact that they were that close to actually winning the game. But I'm someone who believes in the juju of having a reality check and having that push a team that maybe was getting a little bit too overconfident, even though this is a team with a lot of veterans. So you would think that the Josh Jacksons of the world would kind of be put in their place that they're trying to let the success that the Jayhawks had this season get too much into their head. But I think that it definitely helps. I do believe in stuff that goes beyond the X and O's and beyond the stats, be looking at a reality check and the juju that comes along with that. Well, when we do look at the Big Ten, uh, although Ohio State's not in, and maybe the perception around the country is that the Big Ten is down. And I think we saw that play out with Purdue being the highest seeded of four. Is there a team in the Big Ten that's in the, this tournament that has a deep run in them? I think there is. You just mentioned the Boilermakers. I actually have the Boilermakers going further than a lot of people have them, and that's to the final four, because I look at them having 
not one, but two of the best big men in the country. And emphasis on big. Height more so with Isaac Haas and then just the girth and what he can use size-wise, gobbling up contact, using it to his advantage when you look at Caleb Swanigan, the big-time All-American. And it's past that, it's not just inside, it's outside too. Whenever you look at the Big Ten stat for three-point shooting percentage throughout this entire season, the top ten always seem to have at least three, maybe four Boilermakers. When you look at Dakota Mathias, even Caleb Swanigan being a big man, he's an inside-outside threat. Brian Klein, Vincent Edwards, Thompson. Because they have such good pieces inside and outside, just the nth degree in both of those facets, I think that they have the best chance out of the Big Ten to go far. We're joined by Matt Trabold, cityofbasketballlove.com. Um, Matt, we, got, we went through these tournament championships this week. Um, there's a question of whether or not how much impact they have on the actual seeding. But, you know, I guess they, you're going to play them, then you got to play them, and uh, you got to try to go after them. Uh, so who, who impressed you the most out of these tournament champions? Now, it might seem like it's easy because the storyline was so big in terms of this week and champ week in general, but it's got to be Michigan Wolverines. The fact they went through such a near death, I think you can describe it that way. When you look at some of the articles written and some of the quotes they had, a near-death experience. And you're talking about John Beeline helping people onto the inflatable slide out of the airplane with jet fuel on his face and how the players actually thought that they could die at any second in that, something like that. And they just used it as fuel. I know I just said fuel. I'm not trying to be cliche. But <laughs> using it as fuel, and it's just something I just mentioned a second ago, that gets past the stats, that gets past the X and O's, just that little extra down deep. And I think they used that to go through a Big Ten tournament that maybe didn't have any really, really good teams in terms of your top four seeds, stuff like that, but it had a lot of depth. And they had to get through a lot of good teams, a lot of teams that end up hearing their name called on Selection Sunday 2017. The story behind that is just too good. You also have the fact they were practice jerseys for a game. They're going up against a bubble team in Illinois and just trouncing them by 20. That's big. I just got to go with the Wolverines. Matt, there's one that's curious to me that's a little bit off the, the radar maybe, but I'm sure you're familiar with them uh, that really impressed me. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. Uh, it, it is kind of a mid-major team, but Rhode Island, uh, finally getting healthy now, uh, a great run there in the A-10 tournament. What, what are your thoughts on Rhode Island? Well, they have such a good duo inside-outside. I was talking about that with Purdue. But if you want to hone in on just one of each of those kind of players, these are guys in Hassan Martin for the inside and the outside, E.C. Matthews, that have dealt with so many injury problems over the past couple of years. E.C. Matthews missing all of last season, and Hassan Martin for the second season in a row, not having long injury problems, but missing chunks of games here and there. This is a guy who so undersized, but for the last couple of years now has been one of the best shot blockers in the entire nation, which is always something that I look at as being so, so impressive when you look at a guy who's not that tall but is putting up such big numbers in a stat, usually him and do stuff or uh, tall people, I should say. But what was so good about the development of the team as a whole when DC Matthews was out last year is you had a couple guys in Jared Terrell and Jarvis Garrett 
who really made such big strides filling in for him. And all three of those guys came back healthy this season, and it's really helped them out. So you have the two stars in Martin and Matthews, and then you have such a good class around that, such a good supporting class. I think that they have enough pieces to pull off an ups, and I actually do have them beating Creighton. Excellent. So I'm not crazy for thinking Rhode Island's got a pretty good shot of making a little bit of a run, maybe even a sweet 16. I like it. Matt, what's what's the one thing in your mind that you have to have on your team if you're going to win a national title? I think it has to be a steady presence, maybe not always a veteran presence, because you've seen recently with guys like Melo Trimble or Jalen Brunson last season, at the point guard position, having that kind of glue that puts everything together. Even if not they're being a big-time passer in terms of a true point guard, at that one spot, but somebody that can, with their mentality and with their leadership, regardless of age, to hold a team together. When you look at, yes, the cliche, but every game is a season when it comes to the NCAA tournament. And I kind of look at the NHL. You, they say a goalie is something that can really get you through the postseason. I definitely think that's what you see. Point guard play, especially recently. Yeah, right now Kansas has Frank Mason, Devontae Graham last year, Villanova one with Ryan Unch, the Athlon, Jalen Brunson, a lot of two-point guard starting lineups, two-point guard lineups just in general at, at different points of the game of fives that are out there for a given team. I think point guard play is so big right now. It's really shown the last few NCAA tournaments. All right, let's put a magnifying glass on these brackets, though, Matt. Um, let's really take a close look. One of the teams you mentioned was the job that uh, UNC Wilmington coach had did on the previous podcast – we look at that matchup, a possible 5-12 upset. We know that pack line defense with the Wahoo Wise and Tony Bennett is tough, but uh, is that one of those potential upsets? And then anything else in that region where uh, Virginia is um, matched up at, can you see an upset probably brewing? I actually do have Wilmington beating the Wahoos out of Virginia. I just look at the front court battle on that one. Devontae Kaycock, an underclassman for Wilmington, is leading the nation in shooting efficiency. From the field, 79.9%. And this is a guy so young doing this. He does it game after game. You would think at different points of this season, he'd have a drop-off, and he really didn't. And he's going against a Virginia team that when Austin Nichols, the transfer from Memphis, was dismissed almost immediately this season, they lost the go-to big man. Isaiah Wilkins, much better earlier on in the season. The very undersized but springy, makes up for it for a certain degree. He's the stepson of Dominique Wilkins, but he has not played well down the stretch. And that's huge because they start Jack Salt from New Zealand. Isaiah Wilkins gets a lot of minutes up front. But none of those guys have shown the consistency. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do too, too much against the front court there for Wilmington. And in terms of other upsets maybe in that region, while I didn't fully pull the trigger on it, one that I think might be able to happen is Florida East Tennessee State. Florida, a few weeks back, lost their main big man in John and Bunu. They're going up against the East Tennessee State team with a lot of transfers from teams that frequently make the in-state tournament. So you have Kevin Glass, and especially a couple former Hoosiers, and Hannah Mascara Perea and Peter Durkin. And they haven't had maybe the big role that was expected of them this season. Hannah Mascara Perea, this is his first year, being eligible to play for the Buccaneers. Durkin is in second, but I think they become so much more important 
in this game because there's no way Buna there in the middle for Florida. Matt, one of the teams that also has impressed me all season long, uh, maybe not so much in the tournament, but Middle Tennessee State from the uh, Conference USA, um, it, you know, they got the Golden Gophers here in the South Conference. Could they get by them and then maybe give Butler a run? Uh, what are your thoughts on Middle Tennessee? Now, Middle Tennessee deserves to be a big-time upset pick. I personally do not have them doing that, but they have such a big-time front-court duo. Reggie Upshaw, Reggie Upshaw and Diddy Pot, two of the biggest names in the 2016 installment of the NCAA tournament, mostly because of what they did against Michigan State there. And this year, they even got better up front. Ja'Cory Williams comes in from Arkansas, wins conference player of the year. He has really become the player that he was in terms of being a recruit that was expected out of him with the Razorbacks right off the bat, but just did not happen. So you look over at Minnesota, the reason I don't think they're going to beat the Golden Gophers is because they have more than just two. They have the unbelievable duo themselves, main-wise, in terms of Jordan Murphy, Reggie Lynch, who came over from Illinois State, who is such a good shot blocker. And then they go past that with freshman Amir Coffey and Eric Curry. So they have more options up front, which is tough to think about because Middle Tennessee State is so good up front. I think Minnesota has that little bit more to throw out there on the front line. All right, Matt, we're looking for more upsets, man. Who are two or three other – we'll stick with that mid-major uh, section that uh, you think can uh, maybe pull off something, even if you don't have them in your bracket. So one of them, you were mentioning the 5-12. I have the 5-12. On the other side of the bracket there, Iowa State, Nevada. Iowa State's a team that I did not think they would be doing as well as they are, but it's a matter of just having a lot of these teachers that have been there for a long time, especially in the backcourt, so Nash with me too long and Monte Morris and Matt Thomas. But up front is where they have a lot of issues. It's not what it was last year with George Niang. Going up against a team in Nevada, Cam Oliver, he's a big-time NBA prospect for a reason. He can jump out of the gym. He's become so much better in other facets of his game, especially a three-point shot this season. I don't think they're going to have enough to deal with the Wolf Pack up front especially. And then I look at Lindsey Drew of the illustrious Drew family. Think about Larry Drew, so on and so forth. But he is a big-time guard with a lot of length. So I don't know if you're going to see as much success we've seen recently, especially in the Big 12 tournament, out of Monte Morris. That's going to be a big-time matchup. But I think Nevada is going to take one. If I throw in one more upset, I'm going to go with Butler and Winthrop. Winthrop has Keon Johnson, the diminutive Muggy Mouse guard, and this guy can throw up tens and tens of points all over the place. And that's the kind of guy I keep mentioning that NCAA tournament has a lot of scenarios where you have to look past the X's and the O's. This is a guy that just had that it factor, especially when every game of the season in the NCAA tournament, you just have to get one really guy that can be a cult hero going absolutely off. You can get by and have a big time upset. So I think that that's definitely a possibility. I don't think Tyler Lewis, the former NCAA State Wolfpack point guard that's now leading the charge for Butler, I'm not sure if him and his backcourt mates are going to have anything to deal with. He's short, but very, very electrified, Keon Johnson. 
Yeah, you bring up Larry Drew. We know he's the assistant coach of our favorite team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, NBA World Champs. And uh, it leads us into the other question in that South region. He is also an uh, alum of the University of North Carolina and the Tar Heels. Um, we look at that potential matchup. You talked about Butler, so we, we you kind of sized that one up a little bit. But how well are, is the Tar Heels? They, they're not the, you know, uh, fast-breaking teams that Roy Williams usually have. So how would they look as a potential matchup on the other side of that bracket with, you know, possibly a winner of UCLA and Kentucky down the line for Roy Williams? Well, UNC has that those teams don't have as much. Granted, I do have the Bruins winning it all, so I definitely have them getting past Kentucky and getting past North Carolina. But what they have, the Tar Heels there, is a lot of veteran pieces. Justin Jackson, Kennedy Meeks, Joel Berry, especially Justin Jackson, the silent assassin, someone that doesn't really get riled up. That's something that you know, really helped them in an NCAA tournament setting. But it's not just those guys, the stars in terms of veterans on their team. I mean, Nate Britt has been someone with at least a good chunk of rotation time on this Tar Heels team for so long now, even though he's not as big of a role in all of this as he had maybe a couple of years ago. Even Stillman White, who last season returned from his Mormon mission. But what seems like a like an eon ago now, he was filling in for the injured Kendall Marshall in one of the more recent NCAA tournament runs by the Tar Heels. But I just think even with all those veterans, the X-Fact is going to be Tony Bradley. I think just provides that little bit of extra and a very good veteran front court with Luke May. Already mentioned Kennedy Meeks with Isaiah Hicks. I think Tony Bradley could be the X-Factor. I think they're going to get far, but I think they're going to eventually lose to the Bruins if you feel like that. Jake, we might have some breaking news here uh, with that, you know, prediction for Matt's overall winner. I think he might have signed on uh, also, too, with the ball brand, so um, with UCLA winning it all. <laughs> I, I don't feel – I thought I was crazy for taking UCLA as far as I did. I took them to the finals. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into that in a minute, but uh, I'm glad to hear that somebody else thinks UCLA has enough – can play enough defense to get that far. And that's the thing with UCLA, it's the defense. And that's been the story with them for so long now. But it's not like they're going to be playing a bunch, a bunch of games in terms of 10 games or something like that. It's a smaller sample size of what you have to muster up defensively. I think it's muster up just a little bit of defense. Not even an incredible amount of defense that's so much different from what they've been doing during the regular season. It's just a matter of just a little bit to offset the fact that they have such talent and such they're so talented in the other facets of the game in terms of offense and transition. So it's a matter of them being able to put a little bit of defense out there, and I think they can still go far. Did you want to hop in with anything else right there? No, you got it. Go ahead. Okay. Matt, I, I had one more question that I wanted to ask you that's a little off the radar, but I'm sure you can handle it, Matt. Um, Wichita State and Dayton playing the first round. And it, it, the seeding in general, I mean, you have Wichita State as a 10 seed, playing against Dayton as a 7 seed. So you're taking out two nice mid-majors that could have done some damage. Uh, just overall, what are your thoughts on the seedings? I, I mean, I find that borderline criminal, and Vegas agrees with it, you know, as being just a pick 'em game or a one-point game. Uh, Ken Palm, I think, has Wichita, like, eighth in the country, which I think is excessive. But 
just overall, what are your thoughts on on that and how how it's seeded? Yeah, that was definitely one of the more egregious seedings. I don't have a lot of issues with this field. I think they got it right for the most part. But Wichita State being a 10 and Wisconsin being an 8, those are the two big bugaboos that I have with otherwise, I think, a pretty good field that the committee put together. But you've heard for a while now that the committee was going to be looking at Ken Palm a little bit more and the RPI a little bit less. But when it comes to the actual selection Sunday, you see that maybe not being the case. You have a team like you just said, top 10 in 10 palm, and they're Pepsi. That doesn't really make a lot of sense when you heard that narrative coming in to Selection Sunday. It's too bad. Like you said, you really look for those smaller conference teams or at least mid-major teams, even though the Atlantic 10 has shown that it maybe deserves to be in a different definition of a conference there. Especially because Dayton has dealt, again, with so many different injuries this season, but Archie Miller has been able to get past that with his roster. He does that so very well. And unfortunately, they're playing another team that's very possible of doing that. And Wichita State's just Greg Marshall business as usual. He's got a lot of new faces that are in starring roles. Connor Frankamp has come over from Kansas in his second year with the Shockers. has turned into so much more than a perimeter player, role-wise even. Not even a star, and he's really become that this season when he's been adding so many different facets to his repertoire. And Landry Schmidt, who was supposed to play last year, didn't get a full season in, ended up being his real first season in men's college basketball this season. It's just a little bit too bad because these are two teams that could have made big runs, big Cinderella runs, arguably, and now one of them is going to be gone right off the bat. When we take a look at the West region, um, I think it's – pretty much been panned that it's the softest of the regions. Uh, if you're Gonzaga or Gonzaga and Arizona, it maybe looks like a, a region that you can win, uh, but you still got to get through Press Virginia, Notre Dame, an experienced team, Northwestern just in it for the first time. And then you look at the Florida State, Florida Gulf Coast, and we remember what Dunk City did uh, a, a few years back here. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is it Florida or Florida State, are they a team that is in trouble, or are they a team that maybe a lot of people are overlooking? In Florida Gulf Coast, again, has that dunk city in them. Christian Terrell is still there. Zach Johnson is still there. And they have that kind of moniker in them as players, and that grows into the entire team. That nickname definitely still sticking around. But Ray John Tucker had that big dunk in Champ Week where he broke the shot clock. They definitely have a lot going on there. Demetrius Morant, the former UNLV running Rebel, he's been playing very well up front on a team that's mostly wing and guard-based. It's too bad because I want to see them going against a much easier, a much more beatable higher speed. I just don't see that being Florida State. Florida State's had its up and down this season, but when you look at Dwayne Bacon and Xavier Rayton Mays and Jonathan Isaac, these are three guys that could be Conference Player of the Year in multiple conferences. These are maybe not All-Americans by definition this year when it's all said and done, but All-American type kind of players, and they have three of them. And it's not just them. They have a lot of depth beyond that. Terrence Mann's had a very good season. Jark Smith, I think, is someone who deserves a lot more respect. It's not just a big man, but a player overall for the Seminoles. So I think Florida State, even though this is going to be a huge game, to be in Orlando, it's going to be a lot of fans from both teams, not just the much higher speed there with the Seminoles, 
I think that the Seminoles just have too much for what is still a very good Cinderella chance for the Gulf Coast. All right. Uh, we've been inundated. If it's Darren Ravel, you know, Ju- Julie Louise Dreyfus, all the Northwestern alums are dancing in the streets all over Chicago, all the way down to Evanston. How far can they go? Will they be out after game one, weekend one? Uh, what's your prediction for the Wildcats? It's too bad because it's such a good story, but I just like the Zaga this year is too, too much. And I do have Northwestern winning one game. I think they're a much more complete team than Vanderbilt, but they get scored against a team that I have losing to UCLA in the final in Gonzaga. They have them right away after that. So it's too, it's really too bad because Gonzaga is also a very complete team, but it's to a more nth degree. I think they're going to get that one win, which is beautiful. I think they're just happy in terms of program-wise, maybe not the kids on this particular team. And athletic department-wise, they're happy that they just got in finally. But I think they can really take some solace in the fact that they have a very good chance to win at least one game before they go against the top seed. And it might be the easiest question, or at least the question that you have the most knowledge on, because it's right in your backyard uh, when we talk about City of Basketball Love and what you do over there, uh, Matt. Um, and uh, I don't know if you have a nickname. I would call you the Oracle, maybe Hoopstradamus. Um, but uh, we're talking about the Villanova Wildcats. Can they go back-to-back? And is Duke basically shadow boxing their way to a matchup with no real challenger in that region? I think to them it's about them playing as well as they can uh, to get to that uh, possible matchup. I sort of mentioned a second ago that the fact that Wisconsin, that is the other egregious seating that this selection committee had this time around, the selection Sunday. They have to go against Wisconsin, who I think on paper should have been a top four seed. Granted, they didn't get the job done down the stretch as much, so they didn't deserve it, but talk about talent-wise, they're up there. And Villanova has to play them possibly in the second game. It's really unfortunate, and I even went as far as to have Wisconsin upset them and what would be a pretty big upstone when you look at the actual seeds and the numbers before their names on the bracket. Villanova, I don't know if they have enough up front. Dylan Painter's finally coming around here. And that's the guy I thought was going to be born out of the gate as a freshman when fellow recruiting class member. Omari Spellman was ruled academically ineligible for this season. He's coming around to helping out the cause a little bit up front there with Darrell Reynolds. But I don't know if they're going to have enough up front. Ethan Hap is so good not just a old-fashioned, back-to-the-basket kind of offensive player, but he's maybe the best defensive player in the country. And I don't know if the Villanova Bigs, who have always been the weak point, and they've been able to get around that all season long because they have Josh Park, who rebounds so well for a guard and stuff like that. But I really don't think what they have up front would be enough to deal with Nigel Hayes and Alex Villacanin and especially Ethan Happ. I think it's going to be a little bit of an upset there at the second around there all right well give us your final four prediction i'm going to give a little spoiler alert because you got the boys in neon from waco going real far i saw this bracket come across twitter just a second ago so matt tell us what you what else you got there that one is a scratch i like motley and that crew down there but man they get a little sloppy with the basketball sometimes in crunch time they do so i have i've already mentioned most of these teams so purdue ucla gonzaga baylor Baylor's just kind of like with Purdue and some of these other teams and what would have been the case for the Oregon Ducks if Chris Boucher unfortunately didn't get injured late there in the Pac-12 tournament, mixing him with Jordan Bell. But just having Law Hill Jr. and Jonathan Motley up front, these are just two of the best bigs in the country. And Baylor's one of those teams that was lucky enough to have two of them to throw 
against opponents at the same time. Even though he does have some trouble with turnovers at times, you just mentioned a second ago, a little bit sloppy, and they've had some bad losses in Big 12 play. But Manny LeCompte came over from Miami, and he's looked like a guy that's been with the Bears program for more than just this season. I think he, at times, does have that composure. I think most of the time, has that kind of composure. But behind him, Jake Lindsay is one of the best assistant turnover ratio guys in the country, one of the very notable names in that statistic. They're now the second year in a row. So having him coming off the bench, even though he's definitely not the type of athlete that can be out there as much as the man Luke comes, but he definitely helps the smoothness at times and helps turnovers get down a little bit. So I do think Baylor, if they can muster up some keeping the glue together there with Emmanuel Lecomte at the point, I think they do have what it takes on paper to make it that far. All right, Jake, you got anything else you want to get in there, buddy? I know you probably got one more. Or five more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, honestly, I, I think we got a pretty good rundown of everything. I, I really appreciate uh, all the knowledge on uh, on all this. <laughs> yeah, Matt, we just wanted to do it a little bit different style of just like reading off a bracket by game by game. I don't know if that made sense oh, to yeah. anybody. Um, oh, what, I, here's what you could do. To, we're going to give you our final four and tell us how stupid we are. <laughs> no, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, we're just, I'm right. just going to recap some of the highlights real quick, though. Uh, Lamar, uh, you guys, Lamar Odom, Jake, and you, Matt, are real high on Rhode Island. You know what I mean? The team up north is on a mi- <laughs> the team up north is on a mission from God, and uh, by the hair of Gene Katie's head, the Boilermakers are ready to roll. So um, that's some of the highlights in this education special. Um, Jake, I'll lead it off real quick. My 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 bracket is real simple. I think that, you know, Duke with Jefferson being healthy is a is a game changer. So I like them coming out of that uh I like them coming out of that region. Um I'm big on Kansas. I think they've as long as they don't have to play in uh Huntington, um they're uh, not Huntington and um shit. Where the fuck is West uh, yeah, Huntington. Yeah, Huntington, West Virginia. Yeah, as long as uh Kansas doesn't have to play in Huntington, West Virginia against Huggy Bear, they're gonna be all right. Go ahead. No, I like that. I like hey, Duke, Emil Jefferson, that's such a big point because that's the kind of guy like that's mentioned Hassan Martins, Rhode Island. He's finally back healthy. And Harry Giles is slowly but surely returning to health. And when he actually gets out there on the court and is consistent for short stretches, it's really impressive. So even if he sticks to just those short stretches of success, it's going to help out so much in being a role player for Blue Devils. And then I, I'm high on oh, I'm high on the ball brand too down there with UCLA, and then my other fourth one would be Arizona. I think Trier, even with that deferment, he's so fresh going into this tournament with the big Euro they got down there with the Wildcats, and Sean Miller is uh, agitated, even if you see the way that the way that game with the Bruins ended. So. Yeah, Trier, and the fact that he stormed out of the gate when he was finally able to play this season, that's such a big boost because Ray Smith's not coming back, so it's good that you have Trier that was able to come back this season after it looked like he might not be able to see the floor this year for the Wildcats, and he just looked business as usual and almost better in terms of his entire Arizona career so far. And, Matt, you've talked pretty much about all of my teams. I have Duke and UCLA in the final game. Uh, I have Duke cutting down the nets in a 95-91 game in regulation. Mm. <laughs> uh, but I also have Kansas in my final four. Uh, and then the other team, I uh, went off the radar a little bit, the five-seed Notre Dame. Uh, I just like their experience. I like their offensive capability. 
Um, and, uh, you know, just a team that's been there and knows how to win. I mentioned already in this interview my love for undersized animals on the blocks there, and that's what Bonja Colson is. The fact that he is doing all of this in terms of on the glass prowess this season, averaging a double-double, being top five for most of this season on the boards, it's so impressive. He's 6'5". I know he's a big back, but he's basically the size of a lot of these blue blood programs shooting guards. He's doing all this on the glass. Unbelievable. And he's such a yeah. tough matchup. You know, it's like, yeah. how do you defend the guy? Yeah, because he can go outside. He hit a couple threes in the last game against Duke there. It's so impressive. He is he's a unicorn. I know people give that to Christoph Sporzingis, but he is a unicorn in terms of how unique he is of a player on the hardwood. I got a final of Arizona, and then I got the against going against the Jayhawks. I think Rock Chalk, this is the year Bill Self uh, puts it all together because they didn't have to play through that conference tournament, and I think they're going to be fresher for it, um, even though you had the issues, all the off-the-field issues they had to overcome. I looked at those games, especially against West Virginia, and a lot of these games where they had bad first halves, the second half of the games have prepared them for this tournament run, and I think they definitely have the poise with that backcourt as well. So I mentioned how Justin Jackson is a silent assassin. That is even more so with Frank Mason the third. He is just mean mugs guys. He's just so impressed. He never gets rattled. That's the kind of guy, especially the fact that he's a point guard. I mentioned how important those are for the NCAA tournament. That's the guy you want leading your team. And they have so many good role players. I really love Slavs, Mikhail Luke. It's a guy who's hit game winning shots and had the nation looking at him and this guy doesn't need to go out and score a bunch of points, but he's shown that he can be clutch, even though he did have some of that coming off traveling plays and hitting game-winning shots. But, hey, they, the rest still counted it. So there's stuff like that. A lot of good role players, and you have the focal point, Frank Mason. Well, that's the Bracket Education Special, ladies and gentlemen. If you can't find some winners and some upsets, with all the good information Matt Trable just dropped um, – I don't know what to tell you. You just uh, might as well just throw your money away and burn it or just burn your money. I don't know. But um, definitely, uh, Matt, we thank you for joining the podcast. Great information. And, uh, man, this is going to be a relationship till you take over for Joe Lenardi at ESPN and you don't return our calls, man. So we thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks. And in terms of podcasts, I just started up. It, we talk about, obviously, different stuff. It's more New York-based instead of Ohio-based. I started up a podcast of my own, and today we had the first few episodes out there called To Be Determined. I just hope it gets to being as good as you guys, having such a good following that you guys have. But I love being on, and I love that this looks like it's going to be a connection going forward because I like talking to people that know basketball. You guys know basketball, too. Oh, thanks, Matt. You say the sweetest things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Enjoy the March Madness. Uh, and uh, definitely, you know, I mean, I'll tell you this. The funnest thing about March Madness is the, the synchronicity of it being with St. Patrick's Day, too. Just be careful when you're drinking and don't go crazy after that first two days and tear up your brackets because at least we have the electronic versions. But don't tear up the papers because it's always fun to carry it around with you and keep up with the game. So, Absolutely. It's a beautiful time. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks hey, a lot, Matt. Matt, man. Matt, Matt real quick. You still there? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Ah, Oh, okay. Hey, I was just real curious. How much – we didn't talk about this team. Oregon, uh, the loss of Boucher. Do they have enough to make it to a Sweet 16 and then give some teams trouble? 
it all is on the shoulders of Cavill Bigby Williams. He had some good points in terms of being able to fill in when you have foul trouble to Boucher or Jordan Bell in terms of blocking shots and just being a presence in a lane clogger. It's going to be so important that he takes that role expansion when it comes to the NCAA tournament because Chris Boucher, besides Dylan Brooks, was their most notable player for a reason. Jordan Bell can do a lot of it, but they're so used to having two of those guys that can do it. So, Cazelle Bigby Williams, I think, is going to be the X factor for them seeing how he jumps into the role that Chris Boucher left. That's a very big role left. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks so much, man. We'll be uh, hitting you with the link as soon as the uh, it goes up, and I definitely will subscribe to your podcast. I think I did hit the retweet, but uh, we'll definitely be pumping that too, man. So good stuff, man. And, uh, you know, it's nothing like a podcast, man. If you can't tell, we love oh, yeah. doing it. So, you know what I mean? We're uh, happy for you, man. Yeah, and I'm going to play thanks, part thanks, of it. Thanks for having me on. I was just going to say, man, so I'm going to play part of it also. On the, I'll play some, I'm going to play some of it on our live show on scoreonair.com on Thursday, 4 to 6. So I'll put out a post then as well. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Have a good one. All right. Still there? That, that, yeah. Okay. Got a little bit better? Oh, yeah. Much better. With uh, It went smoother, and he sounded better. Uh, he's still coming in and out, man. He was still, I could hear. Yeah, he's still but coming it was in better than last time. Last time was yeah. brutal. I don't think he was, um, he was somewhere stationary this time. I think he was like, um, cause he told me like his job, like he works at a couple stations and stuff like that. I think he was like on the move or something that last time. So, gotcha. um, but yeah, so, yeah, um, he's gold. Yeah, no, I thought it was real good. I thought it was real good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no. All right, man. Gonna start working on it. Cause I'm gonna try to turn it around fast tonight. So. All right, sounds good. I'm going to grab some of it and play some on Thursday as well. Okay, very good. Cool. All right, man, talk to you later. All right.